You guys are in for a treat today with Mr. Matt Merrick. He has an incredible story. I can't wait for you to hear as a 24 year old who was a founder, launched his own business at a ripe young age. And ultimately, I don't want to ruin the story, but his story you're going to love. And I think that the common thread in all of it was really his vision, his mission, his purpose is what kept him moving forward along with the incredible leadership skills that he had to scale and scale and scale an incredible business where they ultimately sold this past year and created massive legacy wealth for he and his family. You know, he's been featured on Discovery Channel. He's shared the stage with speakers from global Fortune 100 organizations like Google, BMW, Goldman Sachs. And what I really appreciate about this interview is his raw honesty of the toll and the sacrifice it took to be as successful as he did on his health and the pause he had to take in relationships and all the things, the sacrifices, but on the back end, the lifestyle he's been able to create today, now in a space where deals can come across his desk and he may or may not take them. He has the freedom lifestyle that many just dream of. So hope you guys really enjoyed this one. This one was near and dear to my heart, given that his business was built to serve the mental health community and disabilities services specifically in Virginia, but then scaled to other States. But given my experience with my own sister, who's bipolar, uh, this really hit home the ripple effect and impact that he's been able to make. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Need some effective tactical advice that actually helps you get results and makes a real difference in your life and business you've come to the right place. If you're finding yourself here today, it means you're getting ready to gain serious traction in your business, rapidly multiply your income and impact, and you're ready to make it happen while living all out. Guys, I'm Melissa Henault, your trustworthy corporate dropout turned six-figure business burnout turned happy and healthy CEO of a multi-million dollar online business. And you're listening to the Burnout to All Out podcast. On this show, we're serving up innovative growth strategies, simple implementation methods to put them into practice, and action-stimulating inspiration tailored specifically for the modern entrepreneur. Let's dive in. All right, we are live. So excited. We've got Matt Merrick here today. Just met you last week. An incredible speaker at my Mastermind event. Matt, welcome to the Burnout to All Out podcast. Thank you, Melissa. It's uh, fantastic to be involved and uh, look forward to sharing stories with your audience and learning more about your background a little bit as well, which I've known. And I love the synergy that we have and being in the healthcare space and figuring things out and doing some new things in life. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I'm excited to unpack some just incredible work you've done. And I know you're, you know, recently kind of tied a bow on a huge masterpiece of work that you've been a part of for a number of years. And I'd love to just dive right in, talk about your journey. I mean, you started with an accounting degree and at the age of 24, you started Good Neighbor, the largest healthcare provider of mental health and disability services in Virginia, which Full circle, you've recently sold it. We'll get there eventually. But I want to go back to 
like the backstory of, I know you started with this accounting degree. You've scaled this massive business that you've recently sold. It's created just a legacy for you and your family. When you were in college getting that accounting degree, I remember you said last week that like you just knew that an accounting degree was a good degree for business people to have. Did you know in college that you were going to be this trailblazing entrepreneur? No. Um, you know, prior to college, even I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life, of course. And uh, high school, even they start prodding you with those questions. And I come from a family of entrepreneurship and grew up around it and saw people start businesses. And my father started numerous businesses. And uh, even at the age of 72, just started a barbecue restaurant. And uh, yeah, and he's having fun with that. You know, it's invigorating to see his passion at, at his age. But I, you know, really was looking at going into college. I knew I wanted to probably look at running a business at some point in my life. And so I researched uh, the backgrounds of the Fortune 500 CEOs. And at that time, about 80% of them had backgrounds in accounting. And so that was the reason in choosing accounting as a focal point, although I was quite the black sheep in in most of the courses, (laughs) Um, standard accounting personality, but I really enjoyed it and learned a lot. I think it was a core foundation of understanding how to operate a business, to be honest. Oh, absolutely. Well, And what incredible foresight at such a young age to like go research the the top 500, you know, CEOs and like the foresight at that age to think that far in advance, you must have been, you must have known you were made for something more. Like you must have known you were made to do big things, right? I just, I think that's incredible. I love that. It's interesting. I'm finding this common thread in a lot of entrepreneurs that they were raised or surrounded by entrepreneurs, like that you inherited that mindset, right? It kind of, you know, what's nature versus nurture. It sounds like it was a little bit of both if you were born and raised around it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, there's a sense of freedom in it, but there's a very much needed understanding of responsibility within it. Yeah, You know, you create your own structure of your day and you create the own structure of your life in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of risk in that. And some people I think are made for the risk and some people aren't. And I think it's really about knowing yourself. I had a a psychology professor in college that I really love. Every single day we walk in the classroom, that's what he had written on the board was a Socrates quote, uh, know thyself. And I always thought about that. You know, it's a great... I think, segue into understanding where you're getting ready to go into the world and trying to figure things out and continuing to ask yourself that question. You know, cannibalizing your own thoughts is a very important aspect, I think, of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, and you bring up such a great point. I I agree with you. I think, you know, you can go one of two ways as an entrepreneur. And one is if you don't manage your time properly, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You can go one of two ways. You just don't know how to manage your time and you're just not successful. Or you can make it like there are no boundaries when you're running the business and you own it, right? And the office is like in your house or whatnot. You can also go so full throttle that there's dead bodies all around you, but you have this massively successful business, right? Um, And I constantly have to even check myself, you know, because we get so passionate, excited about what we're doing, that it's not work, right? But anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that. So, I'm really fascinated. Some of my listeners may not know this, but my only sister has bipolar disorder and has struggled with it her entire life. 
She's actually 45 now and has been homeless for the past 20 years in and out of all types of, of programs. And so when I heard your story and, you know, the novelness of what you're doing in the mental health space and what you've done with really the progressive approach you've taken. And I want to unpack how you're actually even able to do this, because I feel like working with healthcare and healthcare systems is like watching paint dry. So I'm really curious to unpack that and how you're able to do this. But before that, why at 24 and how at 24 was your passion and mission around mental health? How did you, what drove you into that space? So I grew up, my grandparents uh, sort of informally adopted an individual that had a developmental disability into our family. And so I grew up around him and he was somewhat of a savant at certain things he could do, which was very fascinating. And um, he really, uh, you know, became an integral part of the family and everyone loved him. And he, he had this role in the family that was very unique. And I always just found that fascinating and probably unconsciously understood inclusion in a way maybe that a lot of other people didn't. And my mother worked in the field for 30 years. She was a mental health clinician at a very large state institution. And so I I had no interest in choosing to go into the field. I was more interested in understanding finance and business involvements and wasn't really sure what I wanted to go into in regards to that. But uh, I had debated on, I was getting ready to go into the accounting field and cross paths at an event with a woman who owned the largest uh, home healthcare company in the state of Virginia. And she and I had a conversation. She said, you're not an accountant. Well, you know, what are you doing going into this field? And she said, why don't you come work with me and you can uh, work on some of the other interests that you have in your life. And so I did, and I was negotiating contracts for, uh, large hospital organizations, nursing home facilities for staffing, and really found it interesting because I immediately saw there was a ton of bureaucracy. Everybody had a need that was pretty challenging to meet. And staffing and understanding human resources was a large part of that and finding the talent that people needed to operate these facilities efficiently. And um, so I worked with her for about a year and was negotiating a contract at a state mental health facility. And the C-suite team there kept referencing that the future of where things were going is that they wanted to create services in the community and wanted to start transitioning a lot of the people that were in the institutions into the community. And I found that very fascinating and uh, thought it was a great opportunity to maybe do a little diligence on understanding the future of where things are going in mental health. And So I did so and spent a little while doing that. And I went back to the owner of the company I was working for. And I uh, told her I had this great idea that she should invest in. And the first thing she ever told me was, Matt, you know, come back to me when you're 35. You got two kids and you're more settled and I can depend on you as an adult. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and I, you know, I, I took that for what it was and understood where she was coming from. But I, I'm a very persistent person, very uh, resilient in the ways that I'm looking at the future of what I want and where I want to be with things. And so I kept going back to her for about six months and I ended up getting the contract at the facility and invited her uh, to have discussions with this team. And she uh, came back to me later and she said, Matt, I know what you're trying to do and I uh, know where you're going. 
she said, I'll back you. And it took us a little while to figure out, you know, the arrangement of that. And she was very smart around it. And uh, given my age, our agreement was that I had zero ownership until I paid back every dollar that I was borrowing to start the company. And, you know, when you, when I look back on that, it's, you know, these are the types of arrangements that are really fair when you have no expertise in what you're doing. Yeah, right. (laughs) And this before. Right. And so, you know, I, I just was, uh, I think, incredibly honored that she was willing to do it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really matter to me what the arrangement was. I just wanted the shot. And, you know, she was great at, at being a mentor and a support and uh, reminded me constantly about what it meant to really uh, give yourself to your work in the ways mm-hmm. that you, what the outcomes were that you wanted to get to with it. And how you continuously reevaluate what you're doing with it and uh, what are the next moves you make with it. And, you know, we did really well out of the gate. And within two years, I was able to buy her out of the arrangement and ended up owning 100% after that. Wow. So it sounds like timing and tenacity was everything, right? Like, it sounds like you also had an incredible mentor that was behind you that in those two years, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, gang, we need to take a quick hydration break. So grab your drink of choice. And as you rehydrate, I'll give you the lowdown on my free LinkedIn lead gen masterclass starting March 20th. If you feel like you're screaming into the void when you post content on Facebook or Instagram, struggling to find a sustainable and scalable lead generation process that sticks, and you just want someone who's been there and done that to reveal their secrets then it's critical that you register to save your spot ASAP. During this live masterclass, you'll get to steal the exact strategy I used to scale my income from $0 to 1 million in just 19 months without spending a fortune on ads or suffering from burnout. Simply check out the show notes of the podcast episode for the link to register for your free spot in the LinkedIn lead gen masterclass. The URL is www.livethefreelife.co forward slash the dash masterclass. And don't worry, even if you miss a couple of days or you can't make it to all the training sessions, we'll deliver the replays directly into your inbox daily so you can watch them on your own time. All you have to do is make sure you sign up for the masterclass pronto before registration ends on Thursday March 23rd. So cool. Okay. So you were able to buy her out over after those first two years and you were able to scale from there. I mean, where were you and the pinnacle of the growth of this business? Talk to us a little bit about number of employees, uh, the scale of the size of this business that was an idea at 24. Yeah. You know, you go through phases with growth and, you know, there are periods of time where opportunity presents itself and you have to make an attempt or a go at it as best you can. And, you know, you can go from tripling and quadrupling in size in a year, but without the systems that you need in place over time, it all falls apart very quickly. So there were years where, you know, the business would triple and quadruple in size and, There were years where we needed to just figure out our systems again and maintain things for a year before we made our next go at things. 
And so, you know, we went from hiring 20 to 50 employees a year to at our peak, I think 550 or so a year. And I was uh, explaining to somebody recently, you know, when we started seeing 50 to 100 people a month go through training, you realize there's there's a lot going on and you can't control it all, you know, and uh, when you are in the position of being a leader or entrepreneur in some way, it's your job to focus as much as you can on the mission and the North Star things and making sure that you have an influence. You can't touch everybody. You can't get in front of everybody. So you have to really start to factor in what is the essence of the mission that you can provide to others within the system and how do they feel that and how is that getting presented to them? And it's a really challenging thing to do as you scale anything. And the ways in which I look to do that were through a lot of design thinking type approaches of where are the feedback loops? How are you better understanding the customer? How are you better understanding the employee's relationship with the customers? These things all come into play as you grow things over time. But we got involved in offering probably about eight different services over time. So we went from doing facilities for complex care needs to in-home counseling, to outpatient services, telehealth products, skill building programs, adult day programs, just so many different avenues and service offerings that we got involved with. But the thing that always I knew had to maintain and be true was the idea that we have a mission. And that mission was really around understanding the cause of why we were involved in the work. And that cause was really to create empowerment for people living in the community that had uh, certain, you know, care needs. And I think the beauty and understanding that is you have to connect to people in a different way when they're sometimes outside of the understanding of how you connect to people in general. And, um, you know, I've done different work outside of the industry and consultatively, and you begin to evaluate even looking at society and the ways in which it operates, how disconnected things can actually be in certain systems. And I was working with a friend of mine who owns a creative firm and he had a, a contract he was working on with a theater, movie theater company. And they were looking at ways they could better connect to their audience and throughout just the concept or understanding that one in 12 men are colorblind. So when they come to a theater, you know, they're not necessarily seeing the movie in the ways that it was produced, but there are glasses available that are fairly cheap that just like you would offer 3D glasses to somebody going to see a 3D movie, that would allow them to see the full spectrum of color wow. in seeing the movie. And there's these types of things that, you know, we have a lack of understanding of in society where there's opportunity, you know, for yeah. you to be a better business or for you to connect to people in a better way. So insightful. It's so true. This is such a, a good story. So my follow-up question is, during all this growth and scale and all these ideas and all these different offerings that you were coming up with, I'm curious, having worked in healthcare systems myself and worked in mm -hmm. contracts myself, you went from one idea to you know a plethora of different products, services within the healthcare systems and contracts. How were you able to accomplish so much? And I'm assuming it didn't all happen overnight, right? Like anybody who's watching this in my 
healthcare space on LinkedIn who are, you know, have healthcare backgrounds would commiserate that it's really tough to make change in healthcare systems. So can you talk a little bit about that? I'm an innovator at heart. And the thing that I would see sometimes and trying to innovate in the areas that I desired to was that if you try to throw the whole idea at someone or a system, you're going to lose them. And so I would look at phases in which we would take a percentage of something, a very small percentage and introduce a new idea. And part of how we would implement would be to include some things that are already working in the system and attach it to that. And that way you've got people feeling comfortable about the idea of something they already know. And you're throwing out a small percentage of a new idea um, that they can somewhat wrap their heads around. And, you know, bureaucracy kills innovation. And so um, you've got to look at the ways you can work with the bureaucracy and make people feel comfortable. And I had a friend years ago when I was having this discussion about innovation and disruption and healthcare, he said the thing that he learned over time was the beauty is in transcending and including. Mm -hmm. And if you're just looking to transcend something in your industry, whether it's healthcare or retail or any, any given industry, if you're not including some aspect to make people feel comfortable about the change, then you're going to often be looked at as the opposition, the disruption to people having or maintaining something that they feel comfortable with. And no one likes to have their blanket stolen from them when it's cold outside. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? It's, change creates fear. And if you don't have, or if you're not aware of that aspect of change, then, you know, you're, you can easily be seen as a renegade and be seen as the antagonist to any good thing that could ever occur. Mm, yeah. Oh my gosh. So insightful. So insightful. Well, so what do you think are, you know, given your experience and you've worked with all types of people and you spoke to this a little bit in the mastermind last week, and I thought it was brilliant, but just what do you think are some key characteristics that make entrepreneurs successful? What do you think it takes to get to where you are and be able to sell your business? And we'll get into this in a bit, but now get into this, some creative space and do, do some fun stuff all over again. What, what do you think are key characteristics to, to succeed as an entrepreneur? Well, I think I'll restate a term I used earlier, which is resiliency. Yes. You know, you're going to fail a lot. And it's failure is just the opportunity to learn. Mm. And you have to believe in the idea more than anyone else. And you have to figure out how it fits into the systems or the business model that you're already involved with. But resiliency, I think, is one of the primary factors. The other is evolving over time. And I see that as a piece of being innovation. You know, are you innovating within yourself over time? Mm. And Again, I speak to, I use the word, you know, are you able to cannibalize your own self? And are you able to free yourself of the idea that you know any given thing is right and change direction as you need to, which uh, is also a reference to, I guess, adaptability. So, um, you know, I look at innovation and resiliency and adaptability as being really core attributes to people that I desire to work with. Mm -hmm. And you know, building teams around that's really hard because 
those people desire autonomy. And as a leader, I always desired to work with other people who wanted to be autonomous because if not, I'm spending all my time micromanaging issues. <laughs> and, right. you know, that's not what I desired to do. I, right. I wanted to create and do things that I felt like would change the industry and innovate within the industry. And But it's hard because people that are autonomous, you know, you have to give them the room and space to fail as well. Right. And you have to be okay with that and be a feedback loop for them around that. But, you know, I, I find, you know, leaders oftentimes depending on what the failure is, they jump in and they start reprimanding and, you know, giving their own thoughts and directions around what they should have done instead of what could you have done. That's the attributes that I look for in great leaders. It's not that you speak to people in a vertical sense, it's that you speak to them in a horizontal sense and you're looking to connect to them in that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So good. Especially in this virtual space. I mean, you know, my businesses have always been remote, even when I worked for corporate. But I think that since post COVID, regardless of whether you're, you know, a digital CEO, or, you know, you're in a bricks and mortar, there's a lot of virtual work that's being done right now. And what level of autonomy, trust, empowerment are you creating for your teams? You know, such a good point. Well, I love what you talked about with resiliency. I want to go there for a minute, because this is the burnout to all out podcast, you know, talking about... Right. Were there were there any moments in scaling your business? I mean, there's one thing I've learned and I'm not that far in, but there's been definitely some wall kicking moments for me um, that have just completely kicked my ass when I bit off more than I could chew. My business got bigger than I could handle. And what I've learned over time is just my nervous system was literally dysregulated. Like my health was in question and it was because it was big growth. And my body, yeah. literally my nervous system was being challenged, right? And I now am aware of it and in tune with it and have learned coping mechanisms around that. But I'm curious for you, have you had any you know, burnout moments that turned out to be uh, a blessing in disguise or a burnout, just a burnout moment in growing and scaling that you can share with us today that you've come out on the back end a better person because of it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's, you know, there's always that ceiling that we have in our lives. If we're not being as self-aware as we can be, Mm -hmm. especially with our own health. And for 10 years, I never took a break. The first week I ever took off and starting the business and running the business after 10 years was my honeymoon. Wow. And (laughs) so I don't advocate for being, uh, or playing in the game that way, <laughs> take your breaks. <laughs> it is extremely important. And, you know, surround yourself with people who can give you the space you need to take your breaks. And so we, um, the company referencing your question earlier, things had just grown after 10 years exponentially. We launched the first pilot in-home counseling program with Anthem, who came to us with an idea of wanting to launch something under their commercial insurance. And it really had never been done in the the nation. And so we took it on, built the program and went really well. And they were interested and they ended up approving it for 14 other states. We had coincidentally got involved in telehealth really early on. We were working with prison systems and ended up integrating it into a lot of our service, other services we were offering 
and Discovery Channel saw or got mention of it. We did a innovation series with them. And I found myself sitting in front of the largest capital healthcare company in the nation being asked questions of where we were going to go. And right after this, I got married and on my honeymoon (laughs) of taking a week, a week off, I was snorkeling and just really, truly enjoying the moment and found myself surrounded by all these beautiful fish. And I realized there was this whole other world in life that I was just not aware of. And really what it was, was the beauty and understanding of peace. (laughs) You know, I had surrounded myself with a lot of stress and chaos and, and a lot of fun, you know, it was, it was, I had gotten to indulge in all the creative interests of innovating in many ways that I've ever wanted to. Well, you've got to love what you do to do it for 10 years straight without a break. You do. Yeah, you do. I I loved it. Like, I mean, it was life for me. Right. (laughs) Right. I can't even describe the passion involved. You know, I came back home from my honeymoon and it was literally like I had hit a brick wall. Oh, yeah. Uh, Everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was my body. I realized was in complete shock. I didn't have the energy to even go to the office and sit through one meeting. And that went on for about four to six months. Wow. And I started noticing in my body, like how depleted I was of the energy that I needed to do anything again. Mm -hmm. And I coincidentally ended up at this two day thing in Laguna beach that Rob Bell was doing. And he was a pastor out of Michigan that, uh, you know, had, he had New York times bestseller book got named in Time Magazine as 100 most influential people in the world, and then left his church. And it's such a fascinating story. And I had seen some content from him years prior. And I realized, you know, I've created a lot of things in my life already. And I'm not sure if I can continue doing it. Mm. And he was one of the only people I think I knew of that might be accessible to have a conversation with about what it meant to make such a big transition. yeah. And so I went out there and I had a long conversation with him, but really I just wanted to ask him the question, what did it feel like yeah. to leave and yeah. start over and yeah. do something else? Yeah. And he really laid into the feeling of what it felt like to walk in a church of you know, 10,000 people and sit in the back pew before he went on and realize it was time to go. And you've spent all your time and energy building this thing. And, you know, I, I was, I was really putting myself in that kind of uh, place to connect to the idea that maybe I was done. Maybe my health needed to be more of a priority And I really wasn't sure if I could even come back from what I was feeling at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going through uh, dealing with some autoimmune issues and pretty significant stuff that I just wasn't even sure what it was and made a lot of big changes in my life from a health aspect of getting into biohacking and new diet interest. And it was amazing. You know, it gave me 
the hope, I guess, that I needed to realize I could recover from the things I had done to myself. <laughs> hey, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and it made me realize, you know, how much I had neglected yeah. my own uh, interest in being healthy, even though I had always had a lot of interest in being healthy. I really wasn't aware of what that meant. And so I created a lot of different boundaries in my life after that and had a daughter a year later. You know, she, I think, really um, brought forth a clearer understanding of what it meant to have some balance in life. Yeah. And <laughs> as you know, I know you have three kids. And, yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a, it's a big discussion. Yeah. <laughs> and often not one that people, I think, approach in the entrepreneur world. <laughs> right. You know, it, yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, go hard or go home, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Ah, such a, I mean, thank you for sharing this. I mean, it's something I've really started to hone in on in the past year and a half myself. I can't imagine at scale, like the intensity of impact on your nervous system with what you grew, what you scaled, the stress of the business. And we internalize all of that. And I think that there's so much more awareness that needs to be put out there around this more holistic approach to stress and energy management as whether you're an entrepreneur or a senior level, you know, executive, there's just a lot of stress that we internalize that does wreak havoc on our bodies. It manifests itself in autoimmune dysfunction and migraines and other chronic illnesses or even chronic pain because of the kind of lack of awareness of what we're actually doing to our bodies in pursuit of the thing, you know, I love it. Can you share with me maybe some boundaries that have helped you that may be able to help some of my listeners that you said you've kind of instilled since your daughter was born? Yeah. Children are highly aware of whether you're present or not. Yes. (laughs) So there were just times where I knew if I was going to be home, it meant I had to be home. And and there were times where I couldn't be home, so I needed to be elsewhere. My wife was really good, and I remember there were certain points in time where she was a part of, I think, giving more insight into the boundary. And she said, look, if you've got to work, just go, go somewhere else and work. So she doesn't have this understanding that you're here right? and you can't be present. So it's really challenging to think through, you know, can you be home and be present mm-hmm. and work? And I was just really bad at that. You know, I I think men are more compartmentalizers than women. And I think women are much better at multitasking and bringing in the aspects of balancing (laughs) their multitask. Well, I think it also depends on your business and your clients too, right? So like my husband cannot work at home. It's like, he just can't for a number of different reasons. But for me, I've like built my business and brand on being a mom who works from home And like Mm -hmm. my kids are part of the deal, right? Like if they come in that behind me, they're learning that mom can make money while she's at home in front of a computer screen, you know, but, but I love what you're saying though, because it is still important for those women or men who work from home is to still have those boundaries. I'm like turning it off. Like for me, I actually don't have my work email on my phone and I don't Mm -hmm. have Slack, which is our communication channel for all of my businesses. I don't have it on my phone, which makes my team anxious. But I know that when I leave my office and mm-hmm. I'm with my kids, I'm not going to get sucked into a rabbit hole of an email because I, 
you know, instinctually am checking every, you know, 20 seconds and, you know, pulls you away from yeah. your children. So I agree with you 100%. Like there has to be some types of boundaries, whether you work from home or you create a boundary that you leave the home to get the work done, you know? That's right. Yeah. And it's, you know, depending on what you want your lifestyle to be, mm-hmm. scale is not always, or more is not always better. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really important conversation to have if you have children. And if your business is a certain size, it is virtually almost impossible to have boundaries. There's an accountability factor that's involved that it's for the person that really desires that to be their priority in life. Yeah. And I think I knew that early on in my life is uh you know, I dated 10 years. I got married at 35 and I think I always knew I didn't want to have a family or put them through what I was going to put myself through Yeah, <laughs> um, that period of time. And not to say you can't do it. It's just, you know, you've got to build systems even within your own home environment to be able to handle, handle doing it. And I think it's really important for partners in relationships to have those discussions of what's the time commitment for our relationship? What's the time commitment to your business, uh, to your child? And those were all new things for me that I actually just never thought about, to be honest. So I had a daughter and, and realized, oh, wow, this, uh, this factor or involvement in my life is going to completely disrupt something right. that, you know, <laughs> right. that I've never understood. And business is always sort of a natural, instinctual, intuitive involvement for me. I learn every day and what it means to understand raising a child. <laughs> and oh gosh, yes. there, you know, there's some things intuitive, but there's a lot you're just always learning from the experience that I don't think anyone can really teach you. You know, you can read about just it. It's like but... entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just learn as you go. And if you have more than one, like by the third, you get it all figured out. Like the... <laughs> Um, I mean, really kind of probably like your third business, you get it all figured out. Well, so speaking of that, so, so you had this pivotal moment, you had this enlightenment. I love the enlightenment. It was almost like a massive download for you. You're underwater. There's this coral, this, this beautiful world. You'd forgotten it was even there because you'd been so focused for 10 years. You know, you're coming home to this massive expansion, which 10 years ago might've been like a dream. But right. things have changed in your life. And, you know, you're married, you're looking at having kids. I don't know if you had your daughter by that point or not. But, um, not okay. So clearly you made some pretty drastic changes. And now you're on, you, you've sold your business. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? We can talk about what you're doing today and what life looks like for Matt today through this journey. I had the foresight, I think, to know we were growing at such a pace that. I was going to need a pretty significant amount of capital to continue to embrace the opportunities that were coming at us. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, started preparing probably five years before we actually exited. And during that time, it really um, forced me to create parameters around the legacy aspect of what you build. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're not there, and I, I had always had these conversations with other entrepreneurs, you know, does your business have value if you're always the face? If you're always the person making the big decisions, 
And the truth is it doesn't because it can't live on without you and it might not even exist without you. And so I was always really fascinated in trying to understand who are the people we can bring to the organization that are as talented, if not more, in the areas that would enhance the business to continue to do what it was doing over time without me. And I think that's a really responsible way for any entrepreneur to look at it. If you've got a lot of employees, this is people's livelihood. This is how they support their family. And anything can happen to anyone <laughs> at any given moment. And so I used to always think through, how do we prepare for, you know, if something ever happened to me, or if there was a point where I felt like I couldn't do it again. And I went through that and it really opened my eyes to know I could hit this brick wall again. So I brought a broker into the organization to help align us for capital investment over time. I didn't know at that time we would end up doing a full sale. Um, I was interested in maybe a minority involvement and continue to expand the company over another five to 10 years. And I think it was really prior to COVID, I realized I had hit another kind of phase of burnout, desiring to try to figure out balance again with my family and Realizing the time commitment to continue to expand the company meant that I was never going to be home. So I transitioned and I had a great mentor that I worked with from an accounting firm that's in Richmond called Kiter. And uh, his name's Carol Hurst. And he had done M&A activity for 30 plus years. He'd seen every entrepreneur under the sun. Wow. <laughs> and you know, he bold face looked at me and he's like, Matt, now's the time. You know, the market's good. This industry is hot. There's a lot of companies that would continue to grow and do what you or, or build upon what you built. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't feel like you have the energy to continue to become, you know, a massive organization across the nation, then now's your shot. And so it was, I, you know, the emotional transition, I think, in selling a company is a really big one when you have to sit down and have the conversations that you do with the people that you've asked to be a part of this mission for so long, who've battled every war possible in the trenches with you and just the families and the organizations we've partnered with and committed to uh, building ongoingly great products in the industry. And, you know, having those conversations to tell people, you know, I think I'm done. This is a very tough one, <laughs> very challenging. Yeah, it's family and at that point. It is, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a very challenging process. So you know, not only are you going through the uh, diligence of the operations of the business and what it's doing well at and what it's doing well at, um, you're also going through the emotional detachment of what you built and all the things that are around that. But you know, there were I knew there was a lot that I hadn't done yet that I wanted to explore. Mm. And there were a lot of creative interests that I um, knew were living inside of me that I was already indulging some of them. And they would very quickly find their way into certain areas of other businesses and demanding attention. <laughs> and I was thinking, wow, you know, the opportunities there, mm -hmm. I feel like I can offer something to it but I have no time to do that. Right. 
Wow. And so really got down to the discussion of, you know, where am I at in my life at this point in time and what I want to give my time to. Yeah. And so you've, you ultimately sold the company, right? Yeah. And how does it feel before we transition to what you're doing today and what you're playing with? I want to talk about, you know, you've created through this journey, you've created legacy wealth. You've created a legacy for your family. How does, how's that changed your life? And would you do it all over again? (laughs) Yes, I would do it all over again. You know, I think if you can sustainably say you loved it Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, I think that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. You know, if you love anything, you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. along the way, you know, it's just part of the process. You take on the risk of offering yourself to something or someone. Yep. And in that process, you determine whether there's good things for you or bad things for you within it. Mm-hmm. And you adjust and, um, you know, you figure out how you love better as you continue to grow. <laughs> totally. And you've probably learned a lot about yourself along the journey. I'm curious as in retrospect, is there anything you would have done differently in retrospect? I would have invested a little more of my time and my awareness to my own health. Mm-hmm. And I would have probably looked at taking capital on. Mm-hmm. We were, you know, sort of an anomaly in the business world, being the size we were and still having a hundred percent ownership with no capital investment behind us. Wow. And so I was always focused on cash flow, you know, and I tell entrepreneurs all the time, cash is king. You know, if you, if you don't have cash flow, you're dying, <laughs> yes. and, uh, you know, which is uh, somewhat counterintuitive to how people go about building certain companies in the tech space. You know, it's all for facing revenue and taking on capital based on these types of projections, which would scare the hell out of me in certain certain ways. If you got cash, you can make decisions to innovate. And it's hard to innovate um, sometimes when you've got your people breathing down your neck about the idea of, you know, is the future going to pay for what we've given you money for? Mm. And so I always tell people, you know, really weigh out for yourself. Do you understand the business model that you're creating? And do you understand where the cash flow is going to come in to afford to support the investment behind you? These things are all really challenging, I think, in business. And the complexity is every business is different. And every system has its own way of communicating back to you whether what you're doing is working or not. (laughs) Right. Listen. (laughs) So good. So good. Well, let's fast forward to this can be kind of our last topic, but like where you are today talking about, you know, creating you've sold your business, you've created a legacy for yourself. And now you've got this freedom to explore and create probably in a, in like beyond many entrepreneurs wildest dreams. Like tell us a little bit about what you're dabbling in now. What's going on for Matt now? I did keep some of our tech team and my friend that uh, we've mutually been connected through is uh, Chris Harder. And um, Chris came to me during the middle of my exit with an idea and uh, around building an app for peer-to-peer lending. And I told him, uh, I don't have time right now. And I was, you know, my hair was on fire. And I, I said, look, let's talk later. And um, after the exit, I 
revisited the conversation with him and told him, you know, this is a brilliant idea. I'd love to explore it. So I've been working together with Chris on that and we're partnered in that. I've been dabbling in some other areas of uh, creative interest. I met a very close dear friend of mine. His name's Jordy Mala, mm-hmm. who uh, he's an actor, artist. He uh, he was Diego in Blow, uh, oh. Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and he's an incredibly fascinating guy, just a really genuine, authentic human being. And he's had an acting career for 30 years. I think he was not too long ago in Jack Ryan, the series, maybe Netflix series, Jack Ryan. And um, he's still doing some acting, but he's really transitioning into doing more art. And he and I have really connected around the idea of you know, where we're at in our lives and what we want to do next. And I think he really wants to have more ownership over what he wants to create in his life. And I think one of the first conversations I had with him, he's like, you know, I've played every role, but three. And he's like, Christ, Dracula, and myself. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was incredibly fascinating, you know, because we you know, the first two roles are very interesting because they're significant over understanding, you know, who we are and our suffering and finding a higher spiritual connection in life. And the other is eternal love. And the third is really like, how do we better understand ourselves? You know, because most of the time in our first half of life, we are just giving ourselves to something with not a lot of understanding of how our ego fits into that how our family fits into that and all the dynamics of figuring out balance. And um, so he and I are recently talking about uh, working on doing a film that he's written a script for. And it's one that I really enjoyed the whole idea of figuring out the connection of where we're at in society now with technology and spirituality and looking at how tech plays this role and, whether things are real with connection or not anymore. Oh, very cool. And what is uh, what does it mean for us to evolve as people with the aspects of technology and what it's influencing now? So, you know, I'm indulging in different things that I really feel like challenge my own talents in certain areas that I haven't really uh, explored yet. So I love that. And it's giving you the opportunity to be in the creative space. Um, yeah. Again, in a different in a different light. Now, is your friend playing himself? That's the question. <laughs> I would say at this point in his life, he is, and you know, it's not a role he's going to get paid for in a yep. movie. But <laughs> I love it though. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. it. Oh my gosh, Matt, this has been so delightful. I've really enjoyed just your like your story, just your raw honesty. There's so many like mic drops and pieces, just nuggets after nugget that I think my listeners are just going to come back and hit replay and take a lot of notes on this. I'm really excited to see your journey in this next chapter and where you're headed. And I hope there's some more snorkeling or scuba diving in the future for you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> with <yes>. your wife. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I think, I think she and I both hope we, there's more of that. Yes. Yes. Well, so where's the best place for people to find you right now? Where are you most active on social? LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm working on a website and 
a lot of that is uh, I have a holdings company that still are using as a part of communication around things I'm investing my time in or investing in so that uh, people will know more about some of the things that I'm exploring in a business world. I'll have that out soon, but uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram right now. Awesome. And then what's the ETA on the the lending app? Because I know a lot of my followers are in the like newer yeah. entrepreneurial growth space. Uh, July. July. Okay. Awesome. 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 And they'll That's be able to find more about that probably following you on LinkedIn or going to your website yes. ultimately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for um, just giving your time today. I know you're headed out to New York and you made time for this interview and I I just really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you, Melissa. It's been fantastic hearing your story as well and uh, having the relationship with you and following your career and seeing where you're going to is very exciting. So I appreciate getting to cross paths with you in life. Absolutely. (laughs) I, I just love, I love your story. Thanks guys so much for listening in on today's podcast episode. I can't wait for you to see my upcoming guest in the next episode. You are going to love this keynote speaker. Hey, here's the deal. If you liked this, please subscribe and leave a review. And you want the latest online business growth strategies and exclusive LinkedIn pro tips sent straight to your phone? Text the word updates to 1-833-310-7171. Again, text the word updates to 1-833-310-7171. Can't wait to see you guys. Come find me over on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you like to hang. I cannot wait to hear how you are enjoying and applying what you're learning. You guys reach out to me over on social because I love hearing what's resonating with you. When you reach out to me and you send me those personal DMs, they really do impact the content I continue to bring forward to you. So again, come find me, Melissa underscore Hinault over on Instagram, Melissa Hinault over on LinkedIn and Facebook. Can't wait to see you guys over there.